Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, September the 16th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, no matter what, ride or die, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a shutout loss at home. We'll get to the five takeaways, go position by position, and update you on the college quarterback performances from the weekend. Plus, the Minka Fitzpatrick situation update, taking the temperature of this tank job and evaluating the coaching staff through two games, all of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. You can find all of our written work up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And with that, I have a lot to get to. Let's just go ahead and jump right in. So we're not going to start with the actual game today because I think the Minka Fitzpatrick situation, the saga of sorts, really takes precedence over the result of the game on Sunday, which does go down 43 to nothing in favor of the road team. The Patriots find their second win in the last seven visits to South Florida. Let's get back to Fitzpatrick, though, and go over this timeline from this offseason. First, He complained about his usage in the defense last year, which was understandable. You go into Saturday, you have one idea for your role, they change it in the walkthrough, you have to get prepared in 24 hours for the following Sunday. That makes sense. Then, his mom in training camp claps back at Omar Kelly for a tweet about him not playing very well about his misusage in the defense. Then he has a couple of bad preseason games with missed tackles and bad coverage. He then comes out with more issues with the coaching staff currently, which is not as good because this staff is supposed to be much better in the way they deploy their talent. Then he has a horrendous week one, allowing multiple touchdowns. He requests a trade, returns to practice on Friday, and then plays a pretty damn good game on Sunday for the Dolphins. A very spirited game. But this whole argument, this whole distraction is not about Minka Fitzpatrick playing multiple positions. Just listen to the audio I put on Twitter from back in December when Fitzpatrick told me personally that he liked playing multiple positions because it got him to know the entire defense. It allowed him to play faster and be more instinctive rather than having to wait back and see things unfold. He liked being bounced around the formation and he liked playing cornerback. This guy is just frustrated by the losing. He came from Alabama, he wants to win, and that's not a bad thing. It reminds me of the scene from Major League when Rick Vaughn vows to catch on somewhere else and shove it up Lou Brown's backside. This is the cost of a tank, unfortunately. You might not be able to retain some holdovers, except for Xavier Howard, who is as accomplished as anybody, and you did that by padding his bank account, and he has responded very well through two games. We'll get to that on the other side. I was hoping this rebuild could happen quickly, but one thing I didn't account for was the cost of current assets and trimming out some of the fat that players that might not be happy in the interim as they go through this process. And why should they be happy with that? Football shelf lives are short. They're tiny. I can't imagine wasting two or more years of that on a team that's not trying to win. It's got to be very challenging. This is so crazy considering the perfect soldier we all thought Minka Fitzpatrick was and the type of character he exhibited from his rookie year up until this all started. 
We'll eventually see where the dust settles on this, but this all does tell me one thing. And the last thing on this topic before we get into a more broad strokes of the rebuild, it tells me that this is Brian Flores' team and he's been on board with this entire process from day one. You go back to Steven Ross's comments, which he confirmed time and time again, and that maybe Chris Greer doesn't have as much control as we thought he might. And he was even offered full autonomy and didn't want it. He wants to go get the guys that Flores wants on his football team. Flores, has that five-year fully guaranteed deal, this is his show to run. And now that two of Greer's three proverbial feathers in his cap are gone or could be gone, then what exactly is it that you do here, Mr. Greer, because all your draft picks are gone? But then again, you could say giving him the power to trade those picks says that he too is safe. We'll see what happens. But to round out the conversation about misuse and position multiplicity on the defense, the top five safeties drafted in Minka Fitzpatrick's class, Jesse Bates, Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, Terrell Edmonds, and Justin Reed. Of those five players, only Jesse Bates didn't play five different positions as a rookie. He's more of a two-deep type of off-the-ball safety, but Mika, James, Edmonds, and Reed were all slot, perimeter, box, deep safety, and linebacker roles. That's just how it is. That's modern-day football. And this is sort of a function of Minka picking up the slack of other depleted positions on the defense. But even if those spots were fined, this is the kind of role you'd figure him into. I don't get his claims here. I'm not even entirely convinced it's his own doing. The Dolphins hold his rights for a long time. And if he's hell-bent on just being a slot cornerback, well, then you can exercise a fifth-year option in 2022, then enact a cheap franchise tag in 2023, and even 2024 if you so wish. So Fitzpatrick lacks the leverage. Average, you're going to have to get a blowaway offer to get Minka Fitzpatrick. I think it's about the buy-in, which I can confirm this coaching staff mostly has across the locker room. They just do. I've heard that from multiple sources. Don't let one or two leaks convince you otherwise. And players that have played in a program or a system like this will tell you that practices in New England are different than the rest of the NFL. And that's what we're getting here in Miami. They're just more demanding. That's what Brian Flores knows. That's what he's going to preach. But those players will also admit that they are better prepared prepared in New England than they are with the next team they go to. No more club med situations like what Adam Gase ran in Miami. You take Jesse Davis's quote, for example, Joe Shadow of the Palm Beach Post, a friend of the podcast and fellow Margaritaville patron with yours truly, asked Jesse Davis if he believes this team will be set up to make a run at taking over the AFC East in the future. And Davis said he believes they do as long as they get guys to buy in. And the quicker guys buy in, the faster that can happen. A home run quote. I think it's true. And it definitely speaks directly to Minka Fitzpatrick. And if there is one disparaging thing I think you might be able to say about Minka, and it might be a stretch, is that I've heard that he carries himself as a star player. He was that at Alabama, where Saban called him the best player he had ever coached, and he was close to that as a rookie. Hopefully, this is all just a humbling experience and an attitude check, but I do believe after all of this, I think things will get sorted out unless one of those 20 teams pursuing Minka Fitzpatrick and Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald says the Dolphins are confident they can get a first-round pick and then some, at which point they might deal him, but still, I think that he will stay here unless a team does blow him away with that offer. Today, on Sunday, he said he was having fun, playing more deep safety, and his teammates seemed to really be embracing his triumphs as well well. His tune changed after the game. He was more positive, more upbeat. There's an article from Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post where he goes over the quotes from a more jovial Minka Fitzpatrick in the locker room. But let's just say they do get that offer they can't refuse. Then let's revisit the thread that I put up on Twitter on Sunday morning. But first, before we do that... 
as the Dolphins reportedly have an issue keeping their players engaged, are you having an issue finding a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get started. And now that you're in great shape to go to the live event you want to see, whether you want to take your shirt off at the football game or get naked at a concert, you should check out Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that will last a lifetime. We all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being in the crowd to cheer on your Miami Dolphins, even in a tanking season. With the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can attend the concert or show or sporting event of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back with Vivid Seats rewards. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and shows to the hottest games and theater events around the globe. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Just enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. That's Vivid Seats with the app and enter promo code KICKOFF to receive a discount of up to $100. The 2019 season may have all of its hope lost down in the gutter, and further perpetuating that idea is a report from Jay Glazer that Kenyon Drake, the Dolphins running back, could be involved in some trade rumors, although Drake, after the game, told reporters that that is not true and he's happy in Miami. So we'll see how much further that goes along into the trade deadline in a few weeks. I want to talk about the Minka Fitzpatrick situation a little bit more in a thread that I put up on Twitter regarding the possible exchange of Fitzpatrick for draft picks. And here's what I wrote, a five-tweet thread of sorts. This team is fully committed to playing for the future. That much should be obvious. Yeah, losing talent sucks, and you'll have to replace that talent by hitting on the picks that you do get back. But if you do hit those picks, they become more valuable than a Minka Fitzpatrick or a Laramie Tunzel because you reset the club control clock in that a good rookie in 2020 is here for five years for cheap, whereas a third-year Minka Fitzpatrick is due for a new contract in short order. With the Pats still, well, just being the Patriots, Miami wants to rebuild this thing to execute it when Brady and Belichick are closer to retirement. The Bills and Jets are in year two of these rebuilds, but for what? To finish 9-7 and seven and second place in the AFC East, maybe get into the playoffs only to get blown out in January in Foxborough? 
And then to put the blame or credit all of it on Chris Greer to me is unfair because this guy assembled a massive team of respected executives, Marvin Allen, Reggie McKenzie, and the whole lot are overseeing this rebuild from the top down. Not to mention a very talented team of scouts that are out on the road every week from now until Christmas. This is going to be a turbulent ride early on and Ross specifically points to the decision to hire Flores for his ability to deal with adversity. Just keep it all in perspective. There's a light at the end of this tunnel and Ross has been consistent in his message for the rebuild from January to the summer and again in an article from Dave Hyde of the Miami Herald. So just be patient. It's going to be hard, but stick with it. We'll get there. Okay, let's transition now and go to the five takeaways from the game. I'm going to run through these things fast because we're getting out of time here on the show. But number one was how hard this team played today. I thought they played much more spirited, much more incentivized to go out and play a good football game and put good tape out there. And the coaching staff had them more prepared. Whereas last week, you have a bunch of new guys on the roster. It seemed like more of commonplace this week around and more guys being settled into their roles on the football team. And I I think we saw that early on again things cascaded at the end of the game and turned the scoreboard ugly but this team competed in that first half and that was so much more than we saw last week and Stephen Ross also had a comment in that Dave Hyde piece where he said they're talking about rewarding players on the back end of this tank and of this rebuild situation so guys have the right idea about why they're fighting for this team right now to get better on the back end and to be rewarded on the back end. Takeaway number two, this offensive line, and this really isn't a takeaway just from this game, but in general, the offensive line needs a complete overhaul, possibly even all five guys, and that definitely includes moving Jesse Davis away from the left tackle position. These guys are impeding the entire offensive evaluation right now because they can't deal with speed, they can't deal with power, they can't pass off stunts in games, and they can't recognize delays and blitzes from unique circumstances from the defense. It's a disaster on that offensive line. Takeaway number three is that I'm starting to see some players adhere to what they'll be asked to do in this new, completely revamped defensive scheme, as well as on the offensive side too. I think Raekwon McMillan is a definitive fit in the type of defense for base and the way they want to defend the edge in the running game and also be more physical than the offense. I think Jamal Wiltz and the way he plays, he's not there yet. He has to get better, but the physical, aggressive nature of his game and he flies around the field, I think he's going to be a fit long-term. Devon Godshaw, again, that two-gap read-and-react style. Every week, you'll see him jam somebody out at the line of scrimmage, disengage, and make a stop at the line of scrimmage, and then Minka Fitzpatrick and Jerome Baker both played much better in this game. Takeaway number three, I liked the offensive and defensive game plans in this game. Three notes from the offense. The first play of the first drive, I think it was, they go play action with a dig route to Preston Williams right behind the linebacker. I love the play action dig on first down out of 12 personnel, especially to start a drive. That was a nice rip. And then a second and 19 after they get behind the chains, they go an intermediate pass to Mike Gesicki to pick up 11 yards. That would have been a draw play or a screen in the past that would have gotten you two or three yards. And then you're playing give up ball on third down. They didn't convert the third down, but at least they gave themselves a chance. And then another play later in the first half, a third down and one, they go 22 personnel. That's two backs, two tight ends and go with a lead dive to Kalen Balaj to move the sticks. 
That was cool to see. I think they have some tendency breakers, some nice concepts. They just don't have the players right now, and really it's the offensive line, to execute the offense. On the other side, the defense is getting zero pressure, but they did pretty well for a half with this loaded Patriots offense of Antonio Brown, Julian Edelman, and Josh Gordon. And Miami held that offense to 13 points in the first half, the same offense that rolled up a quick 30 points on the Steelers last week, and that was without A.B., We've already seen more dime defense from this group than we did all of last year. They're better situationally aware of things. The results just aren't there yet at all, but I do think we'll get there. And takeaway number five, the last one from this game, is that it goes beyond just the game and the week that was in Miami, is they're trying to establish the Flores way, the individual part of his Patriots takeaway that whatever he gathered there, he wants to impart some of that, but also his own personality for being tough and difficult practices and finding these professionals that take pride in their work and the dedication to the craft and the guys that enjoy the ride from the weight room to the film room to the game day on Sunday. And the film they put out on Sundays, taking pride in what you put out there for other teams to see. Because even in a tanking year, you can still put out good tape and make a better life for yourself and your family. Guys that don't fall in line helps Flores craft this roster the way he wants. Because if you don't fall in line, you weren't meant to be here anyway. That's the hope. That's the upside. That's what you can kind of pin your hopes and dreams on in terms of this team sucking right now, but getting things established and laid for the foundation for the future. That's the upside. And if they get a quarterback and a bunch of high draft picks with the character that checks out for the way they want to work, then this is going to work. It will, especially if you get that quarterback. We'll talk about that in the third segment. We just have to be patient. And before we turn things over, let's get into the individual performances here real quick. We'll do some more of that on the other side of the break. But first, let's talk about the stats from this game. It was brutal. The Patriots went 381 yards to Miami's 184. They outrushed Miami 126 to 42. They had more penalties, 5 to 4. They were 6 for 11 on third down. And they had 7 sacks of Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen combined and possessed the ball for 36 minutes and 30 seconds compared to Miami's 23 and 30 seconds. Miami has not held the ball very much this season so far. They had two sacks of their own and they were four for 19 on third and fourth down combined. As far as the quarterback play, it was not good. Ryan Fitzpatrick's job is already in question going into week three as Josh Rosen replaced him for the second straight game. Fitzpatrick did not get over 100 passing yards. He had the three picks, one of which was not his fault. He took four sacks and his passer rating was 23.8. Right now, I think Fitzpatrick's just kind of going down with the ship while Josh Rosen sits securely in a lifeboat off to the side. But with the main ship nearly submerged, Rosen's time to captain the new vessel might be coming soon, even by next Sunday in Dallas. Pro Football Talk, I believe it is, says that Rosen might get the start in week three. We'll have more for that, more on that for you guys later in the week. Rosen threw a pair of well-located deep balls and mop-up duty in this game, but both of those were dropped. He had a third rip down the middle of the field that went right to Devin McCourty, but he too dropped the ball. But Rosen would not get away from the interception because the final play of the game, the Dolphins took a timeout to run this last play. Rosen had a ball batted at the line of scrimmage, and it got picked off. That was his 18th pass of the day. He completed only seven. He had less than 100 yards himself and wound up with a 33.8 passer rating, just 10 points higher than Ryan Fitzpatrick's. And since that was some of the most sobering football talk you'll hear on a podcast this week, we got to get you guys back engaged. 
engaged and repair your confidence with BlueChew.com. Listen up, guys. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, blowout, close game, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever your number is called. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness like when Tom Brady kisses his kid. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code. It's MLB, as in Major League Baseball. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code MLB to try it for free today. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Yes, we are still counting on you, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, to rescue us from the abyss. And the Dolphins are doing their part to secure that first overall draft pick next April the 23rd when the draft will commence on Las Vegas on the strip down there. And the other draft pick is looking eh, not as good as it was before Sunday. The Texans pull off a victory because they stopped Gardner Minshew on a two-point conversion attempt. Check that. They stopped Leonard Fournette. They could not stop Minshew, but the Jaguars tried to run the ball. I thought they got it in. They did not. So the Texans moved to 1-1. One and one. As far as tank watch goes, I've got eight other teams at 0-2. The Falcons are playing right now. They too could fall to 0-2. And the loser of the Jets and Browns will also be 0-2. So we could have 10 teams in our company. But still, I don't think anybody's concerned about Miami losing that first overall pick. Let's jump right back into the position-by-position review here. You guys can find videos and further breakdowns on LockedOnDolphins.com. Kalen Balaj, the running back. My goodness, what a bad game he had on Sunday. He is just not explosive. He doesn't change directions very well. The lack of vision he had in college is still bad. He also had the pass that he dropped where he tipped it up into the air, right into Jamie Collins' arms for an easy, easy touchdown. He's been bad. Nine carries, five yards this season for Balaj. Kenyon Drake, he's a much better runner, much better pass catcher, but his pass protection issues are really bad. He's often late to find the most urgent pressure and gets out of the assignment quickly and bails on delayed blitzes. At receiver, Preston Williams, I thought he had a nice day. Four catches for 63 yards, I think it was. Jakeem Grant, the drop issues look like they're coming back. And Devontae Parker, seven targets, no catches. Yikes. He has three catches on 14 targets this season. At tight end, Nick O'Leary missed a very easy block that could have sprung Jakeem Grant on a jet sweep very early in the game. That was discouraging. Durham Smythe and Mike Gesicki basically non-existent in this one. Danny Isadora on the offensive line was a tire fire in this one. Jamarcus Webb, I thought, had the best day at right tackle of anybody. And while Jesse Davis hit a home run with that quote we referred to in the first segment, he's been as bad as he could have been through two games. He's just not quick enough to deal with speed off the edge, and he's not doing much to help the inside post of Michael Dieter either. Speaking of Dieter, I think he really struggles to stay on blocks just as Dan Kilgore does. That's an issue on the interior offensive line for Miami. 
Flip things over to the defense real quick, and Charles Harris for the second straight game is on the milk carton. It's getting very concerning at this point if you weren't already. The good preseason was hopeful, but now he's back to being the same old Charles Harris. That's not good, but that's not true of Devon Godshaw. He had some losses in this game, but I talked about it in the early segment. He does well with that two-gap scheme to engage, shed, and find the football. He also tweeted after the game, Thank you to the loyal fans who are sticking with us through this. I promise you, better days are coming. That guy's going to get a new contract here in the near future. Christian Williams was in on that fumble with Minka Fitzpatrick, but he's largely been quiet. Zero QB hits for him. John Jenkins had a nice sack where he walked Shaq Mason back into Tom Brady's lap for the one sack, one of the two sacks the Dolphins had on Sunday. Jerome Baker was a lot better in this game. Missed an outside edge defense where he had to cut down Rex Burkhead. That's one of his primary jobs. Got to get better there, but he was good. Raquan McMillan, I thought, was good in the running game, just what he's designed to do. And Sam Egwavon had a great preseason, but he's been terrible through two games. He gets stuck to blocks very, very easily. Not his style of football when you're down on the scoreboard by multiple points. Vince Beagle had that other sack in this game. He's got some juice and a motor off the edge. I think he'll be a stick long-term. Xavier Howard, the saving grace. He got Josh Gordon the entire game, except for some glimpses with Antonio Brown, who he also shut down. Gordon had five targets, just two catches for 15 yards. Only one of those catches came against Xavier Howard on a screen pass, if we're even counting that. Howard just looks like the real deal. Eric Rowe is the opposite. He got torched yet again. Three penalties, multiple catches. I'll have the exact numbers on him for you guys tomorrow. I talked about Jamal Wiltz. I thought Mika Fitzpatrick played much faster, more fundamentally sound in this game. And he was very excited and visibly happy after some plays, which was cool to see. Hopefully he sticks around and we'll have more updates on that throughout the week, of course. Through two games, the Dolphins are the third team all-time to lose by 40-plus points in those first two games. The first team to do it with both games at home. They have the third-worst point differential all-time at negative 92, and the worst point differential through the first two games at home all-time as well. Okay, let's go ahead and turn things over here to the exciting portion of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, talking about the savior, the future, into a tongue of Iloa. And we'll limit this just to Tua for now because we're short on time. And Jake Fromm played against Arkansas State and Justin Herbert against Montana. And Jordan Love was off for the week. But Tua played a game against a conference foe on the road. And he dominated with five touchdown passes and over 400 yards. He is one of just two guys to do that multiple times in a college career. The pre-snap acumen to get the Crimson Tide offense into the right look. The detail to hold defenses with his eyes, with his body position, with the way he changed changes the platform of the pocket. He is so advanced in those very crucial areas. The accuracy, putting guys in position to not only make a catch, but to create after the catch and to protect them from contact with the defense. He is so pinpoint perfect. The escapability in the pocket, he's light on his feet. He can transfer in and out of threatening positions to throw the ball and to run the ball. You compare what he does in that offense to what Chad O'Shea wants to do in this offense. My goodness, this guy is the absolute prize, the absolute reason for our suffering this year. I wrote the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. For the rest of the quarterback write-ups, check out LockedOnDolphins.com. I've also got the post-game write-up with videos included from this game. We'll have the aftermath out on Monday and the podcast throughout the week, throughout the season for you guys here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. We'll get even further into this game as the week goes along and, of course, preview the next game at the Dallas Cowboys and keep you up to date on all things college football and all things rumor mill and trades 
everything with this Miami Dolphins team here this week on LockedOnDolphins.com. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.